Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. John chapter 4, we are continuing in our beautiful life series where we are looking at the gospel of John, looking at the beauty of this person, Jesus Christ. Not his physical beauty, but beauty that emanates out of his life from his love and compassion. I mean, he had something about him, didn't he? There was this, he was confident, he was secure, he was, he was, he had this inner calm and peace about himself. He was a man with a purpose so clear. I mean, there were so many around him who didn't really agree with what he said, but they really wanted to hear what he had to say. We don't agree with him completely, but we want to hear what he says because there is something, some, something very authentic about Jesus. And the idea is that as we see the beauty of Jesus' life, we connect with him. And as we stay connected with him, we become more and more like him. Now, being part of Jesus' inner circle, John has a very unique perspective of Jesus' life. He focuses, he highlights the divinity of Jesus. He speaks about the miracles, the wonders, the signs that Jesus performed. He speaks about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. And all of this, he says, he's writing because of two reasons. He doesn't leave us guessing what are those two reasons. He gives them very clearly in John chapter 20. He says, I'm writing this for two reasons. One, that you will know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of living God. And number two, by believing this, you will have life in him. You will have life in his name. Those are the two reasons. So if you are not a Christian here this morning or you're watching online, listening to this uh, for the first time, um, exploring this Christian faith, my prayer and my hope is that Along with John, you will come to know this beauty of Jesus Christ through this word this morning. And by doing so, you will have life in his name. So as we read John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, let's keep this in our hearts and our minds, these reasons. This is why John is writing, that we may see Christ. Amen? Okay, John chapter 4, verse, verse 46. So he began... So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea. All right, so here is what is going on. Jesus was in Cana. That's where he did his first sign, changing water into wine. Then he went down south. Over there, the disciples were baptizing people. And then he moved up ahead again to Samaria, where the woman at the well meets with Jesus and she starts Hey, hey, there's one who has told me everything about me. 
So he meets, he, Jesus meets this woman at the well in Samaria and then now he's moving again northwards into Cana where he changed water into wine. And over there people have already heard about this uh, sign, he, they have, they've heard, they've seen this miracle and now they're expecting great things. They're thinking, wow, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be a, 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 an atmosphere of um, miracles and signs and wonders. So what they're doing is they're not necessarily running after Jesus. But what they are doing is they are creating that sensationalism of miracles in that place. There's going to be, there is excitement in the air with people saying, hey, let's see what Jesus does next. And they are after the power of Jesus and the signs of Jesus and not necessarily Jesus himself. But in Capernaum, which, is a fish, which was a fishing town about 20 miles away from Cana where Jesus was, there is this official whose son is very sick. He's even close to death. And he goes to Jesus and he asks him, would you please come and heal my son? Now before we go any deeper into this story, I just want to say this, that as much as this is a story of Jesus healing this boy, it is so much more than just that. This is a story of faith. This is a story of faith. And faith simply is defined as this, putting our complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And we all exercise faith every single day, whether you are a Christian or not, you are exercising faith right now. When you're sitting on the chair, you are sitting, okay, hopefully trusting that this chair will take your weight. We, we exercise faith, we, we came into a train, uh, came in and we saw the destination. I was, I was exercising faith saying that, yeah, that train will take me to my destination. I'm exercising faith at this stage right now that whatever I'm saying hopefully is making some sense to you this morning. So there's faith. We live by faith in, in our everyday. And there are things, these are simple things that you see. But there are things that you don't see. Like faith in God. What does faith in God look like? The writer of Hebrews in the Bible, he says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Conviction of things not yet seen, but assurance of things that are hoped for. So it's not just hope. But there is assurance of hope, even if you're not able to see those things physically. And that is where this official was. That is, that's the place that this official is. He, he has not met with this God-man in the past. He's not heard. He's, he's only heard about his miracles. He has, he's heard about what Jesus did in Cana. And on the basis of that, he has come to him and he's asking now, please come and heal my son. And so now as we move ahead in the passage, we will at least... Uh, we will see at least three different ways in which this official outworks this faith. He expresses this faith in Jesus. And I'm calling them faith codes or faith principles. Let's look at them one by one. But if were, before that, let me just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will open our hearts and our minds and impart us with faith. Do only what you can do, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, the first code. Faith asks. Faith asks. I love what Ash said just now in his story, in his testimony, that we were asking. We were simply asking. And that is what is happening over here as well. In verse 47, so this man goes to Jesus and he asks him, to come down to heal his son. So faith asks. This man is a noble man. He's an official. He's a rich man. 
he is probably one of those guys who works for the king and he goes and he asks Jesus. His, he can, he's got every single thing possible, but apart from one thing, that his son is sick and to the point of death. Now as parents, as much as possible from my side, I would love to give whatever my child needs. It would, it would be a, a difficult place for me to be when I would say that my child needs something and I'm not able to give them. And that is where this official is. So here is a powerful man, a man with connections and influence, but he is not able to give healing to his son. He is desperate. He's possibly tried every single thing that was doable. He's, he's rich, so he's tried every single doctor that was around at that point of time, the best of doctors in, the, in those times, but still he's not able to give his son what his son needs at this stage. And so from the talk of the town, he heard about this miracle worker, Jesus, the one who changed water into wine, and then he comes to him. He takes this 20-mile journey upwards to Capernaum, from Capernaum to Cana. I mean, you can almost imagine with his workers alongside, he's thinking, Sir, seriously, is it, is it worth it? I mean, you shouldn't, shouldn't you be with your son right now? And he says, I know, I, I understand that he's not a scientist, this man that I'm going to. He's not a scientist. He's not even a doctor. But from what I've heard of him, he, I mean, he's only a carpenter, but from what I've heard of him, if anybody can help me at this stage, it's him. So I'm going to go and try, my, try whatever it needs. And look what Jesus... So he takes this journey and he comes and asks that Jesus, would you please come and heal my son? And look what Jesus says in verse 48. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's almost like Jesus is telling them off. And at first when you read it, you question like, Jesus, seriously, where did you get your pastoral degree from? Where is your counseling? I mean, Charles, come and take some classes from Charles. We will help you how to counsel people. Come on, Jesus, what are you doing? He is asking, he's begging, he's asking you to come and heal his son. And you are telling him off, you're not encouraging him. Come on. But there is something very peculiar going on here. First thing, that you, in verse 48, is plural. So while he is talking to the man, he's also talking to the entire crowd which is in front of him. Unless you guys, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And secondly, what he does is he takes this opportunity to speak to the entire crowd in a loving way so that they put their hearts in the right place. He's moving their hearts from the place of getting, getting something out of Jesus, getting some miracles, some signs out of Jesus, into Jesus himself. He's asking them to move away from this sensationalism of miracles and signs only and come to him for who he really is. He doesn't want the people to just come to him because of, because of what he can do. But he is wanting to, for the people to come to him for who he is. And that is true for us even today, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's true for me anyway. Sometimes my prayers can be like, Lord Jesus, please help me to do well on Sunday. Lord Jesus, please help me to preach well. Please help me to prepare well. Please help me to serve well. Lord Jesus, there are so many needs in the church. There are so many new wants in the family, needs in the family. Would you please help me? Please help that. And that is not wrong. Asking things from Jesus, from God is not wrong. Because Jesus says, ask God. Because he is a good father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. So asking is not wrong. But if that becomes the center of our lives, if our lives moves around those things, oh, what can we get out of Jesus? And that's a place to be checked after. 
And one would think that when the official heard these words, oh, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will not believe. One would think that when the official heard these words, he would be, uh, he would be offended. He'd be like, oh, you don't know who I am? Do you not know where I come from? Blah, blah, blah. No, he doesn't do that. He's still persistent with what he came to Jesus. He's still persistent with the same request. Verse 49, he says, Sir, please come down before my child dies. Almost sounding like, look, Jesus, I understand what you are saying. I understand that, yes, I came over here only because I could get something out of you. But now that I have seen you, I have spent time with you, I have spoken with you, I know that if anyone could help me at this stage and heal my son, it is only you. I am coming to you for help. Please help me. Please help me. He's persistent. He asks and he keeps asking. So faith asks and not just once and we stop asking, but we keep asking. We keep coming to Jesus. I love the words of Peter when he says in John 6, 68, he says, Lord, who else can I go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. And that's the place that we want to be. We want to go to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, where do I go? Where else can I go? You alone have the words to eternal life. And just staying here for a bit about asking and praying. Jesus teaches us how to ask. He says, ask for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And in the next few verses in Matthew 6, uh, he, he says that God knows already. He's your father. The father knows already uh, before you ask. So Jesus, come on, make up your mind. Do you want us to ask or do you want us not to ask? What do you want us to do? Listen, asking is not merely about giving our shopping list or passing our information to God. God, we need this, we need that, we need this. But it is much more than that. Asking is entrusting God with what He can do. Expressing our faith in Him. God, I'm laying this request in front of you. I trust that you can do this. And then, let your will be done. Let your will be done. So faith asks and keeps asking. Okay, let's move on. Secondly, I would say faith holds on. Faith holds on. So this official says, Jesus, please come before my child dies. And once again, Jesus responds in such a beautiful way. Look at verse 50. He says, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. In saying that what Jesus is doing is, he is giving him something, but at the same time, he's denying him of something. Why? Because he wants, he wants this man to trust in Jesus, not just on the, on the miracles and the signs that he can do, but in Jesus himself. He, he, Jesus wants this man to trust in him and his word. And that is why he gives something, but at the same time, he denies him something. He says, you go, I'm not coming, but your son will live. Your son will live. And look at what, man, what the man does. He holds on to the word that Jesus speaks. So faith holds on. In verse 50 he says, The man believed the word, took hold of what Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I mean, amazing. Uh, the points just coming out of the text itself. I'm not trying to make something up. He hold, held on to Jesus. He held on to the words that Jesus spoke. Now here is the question. How will we hear from God at this stage, in this age? I mean, Jesus is not physically with us, like in bodily form. He's not with us. How will we hear from him? The primary way that we will hear from Jesus and hear from God is this, his word. And when we take hold of this word in faith and saying, God, you have revealed this for us. Our situations change for us. 
I mean Romans 8.28, one of our favorite verses. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for those who are called according to his purposes. Now without faith, this is a great little advice, I mean nice to print on mugs and keep it on as showpieces. But with faith, with faith this can change situations that you are in. With faith you will hold on to say, hold on to God saying that oh, I know who is in control. There is security in your name, Jesus. I know that you are reigning and ruling over my life. I know who is in control. You are in control, Jesus. So let me ask you this. Are you holding on to something from God? Has he spoken into your life in such depth that you are holding on to him? Whether you are sleeping or you are awake, whether you are eating or drinking or fasting, whether you are with friends or with you alone, is there something that you are holding on to? That God, you spoke this in my innermost being and I'm holding on to this. That's a question for each one of us, including me. God did that with Abraham and Sarah in the, in the Old Testament. God did that with Abraham and Sarah. God said, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have many offsprings. You're going to have many children. And at that point of time, they, were, they both were really old. I mean, Sarah had passed from her childbearing, childbearing stage. But God said, you will have many children. And Abraham held on to God's word. And there were times that he gave up. There were times that he slipped. But God was faithful. God said, I'm going to change your name from Abraham, which is the exalted father, to Abraham, which is the father of the nations. And what did that do in Abraham? That sort of created a faith turbochargers in him. That placed faith boost systems, mechanisms in him. Every time he would hear his name, that would, he would be built up in faith. Sarah would say, Abraham, dinner is ready. Coming, darling. Abraham, thank you, Lord. You spoke over this. You spoke this over me. This was for the day. For the night, there was a different system. For the night, I mean, he's a desert man. He's lying in the open. He's looking at the sky. He's cold, vulnerable, quiet, lonely at times. And he's looking at the stars and God speaks. See the number of stars in the skies? Those many will be your descendants. And he helps. Hold on to that. He says, this is faith building. It boosts him with faith. So faith holds on to God's word. Faith holds on to God's word. But as a result, what happens? We are filled with God's peace when we hold on to God's word. We are filled with God's peace. Now the risk of sounding too spiritual. Um, there is something quite unexplainable and extraordinary happens when we have spent time with Jesus. When we have been in the presence of Jesus. And one of the ways to describe that whatever happens is just the peace of God that flows into our lives. Just the peace of God that flows. I mean, imagine if you find yourself in a difficult situation. I mean, not very hard to imagine, I suppose. But we spend time with Jesus in that situation. We cast our anxieties upon him. We trust him. We express our faith in him and we trust him for all that he can do. That, ne that uh, necessarily doesn't change things around us. But what it does is it builds us up. It raises our gaze from ourselves, from our situations to who? To Jesus. And helps us that yes, he is sitting on the throne. I need not be anxious. He is sitting on the throne and his peace flows into our lives. And something of that sort was happening with this official as well. As he heard those words from Jesus, go, your son will live. He held on to those words from Jesus. He was filled with peace. He was filled with calmness, which was completely opposite to how he came into, the, into Cana. 
Completely opposite. Now, where do I get that from? Look at verse 31, verse 51. This is what it says. It says, as he was going down, as he was returning to Capernaum, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to feel better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, go, your son will live. Do you see what is happening over here? Remember, this is a 20 mile journey only. This is a 20 mile journey. Jesus said, go, your son will live at seventh hour, which means 1 p.m. yesterday. 1 p.m. yesterday. That means he did not leave Cana on that same day. He did not leave. He did not hurry back into Capernaum thinking of his son's health filled with anxiety and fear. He did not go back. What did he do? I have no idea. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything. So we can all, all we can do is assume and speculate. Maybe he stayed back with disciples. He spent some time with him. Maybe he, um, uh, he had some um, relatives in, in Cana. Maybe he had some business. We have no idea. But there is a massive contrast in the way he came into Cana and the way he returned from Cana into Capernaum. There's a massive contrast there. The way he came to Cana was frantic and filled with anxious and worried and thinking, oh no, what will happen to my son? Desperate. But the way he went back was completely different. He was filled with peace. He was filled with peace. And the question here for us is this. Which of these journeys describes our life? Which of these journeys describes our life? Is it like the first journey into Cana, hurried and anxious? Or is it filled with peace like the second one? I think it's a good litmus test for us to just check, and, uh, check our hearts and see, God, what are you doing in me? Listen, to be honest, on my good days, on my good days, hallelujah, all well. I'm filled with peace. God is good. Everything is well. There's lots going on in the family. There's lots going on in the church. But everything is fine. Praise God. But on my worst days, everything is about me. It's frantic. I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. Where should I go? What should I speak? Who should I ask? This, that. And it's crazy, but that, those are the times when I have to sort of step back. Holy Spirit, help me. I need you. I need you. I have to step back and ask God, God, I need you. So Trinity Church London, we are called to be filled with faith that asks, that takes hold of, of what Jesus says, takes us back to Jesus and takes hold of his word. And as a result, we are filled with God's peace. Now, lastly, faith acts and in, in this acting faith multiplies faith acts takes step and faith multiplies look at verse 53 the father knew that the, that was the hour when jesus had said your son will live and he himself believed and all his household faith acts can you see the journey that he has been this man who had come to jesus because he he wanted this miracle. He, has heard of, he had heard of this miracle worker working Jesus. And he came to him because he wanted something out of Jesus. But now what has happened is he's believing in Jesus, not just for miracles, but he's believing that Jesus is the lamb who came to, to take away the sins of the world. He's put his trust in Christ entirely. He's put his trust in Christ entirely. He's moved from a place of wanting the power and miracle of Jesus to trusting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And can I say that? This is the biggest miracle of the story. 
This is the biggest miracle of the story. This man's life being changed and transformed because of what Jesus spoke. I mean, the healing was great. Obviously, that showed that God loves us. God loved the son. God loved, uh, he had compassion over him. His power was made manifest over him. Healing was great. But at the, at the same time, what that healing bought for the son, I don't know, five years, maybe he lived an old age, we don't know. But that was physical healing, which was temporary. But over here, what God is doing, what Jesus has done in this man's life is something eternal. It's something eternal. He's healed his soul. And not just that, even further, not only did he believe, but all of his household believed as well. So his children looked at him, his children looked at his faith in Jesus, and they believed. And it says the workers, because that word household over there includes workers as well. So a number of them put their faith in Jesus. Why? Because they saw this man's faith in Jesus. And this is the pattern that John writes to us with. You know, the last story that we saw, the woman at the well. The woman has an encounter with Christ, puts her faith in Christ Jesus, and then many others come to faith because of her faith in Jesus. The same thing is happening over here as well. This man meets with Jesus, encounters Jesus, he puts his faith in Jesus, and then many others are coming to Christ because of his faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is the greatest witness around us. God's primary way of reaching the ends of the earth is through you and me. When we live this faith out in today, in the present, God uses that for the advance of his kingdom and his glory. Your faith-filled witness, our belief and trust in Jesus in the mo is the most effective way of reaching our neighbors, co-workers, colleagues, friends, family, relatives. That's the most powerful way of reaching them with the gospel. Parents, here is something that I am learning with my kids. I mean, they would find their strength in God when they see us trusting in God for his promises, trusting in God for his forgiveness. I mean, when I, when I scream at my, at my children, when I go, go crazy and I, and I scream at them and I, and I raise my voice to them and I say, come on, Zach, Shifa, I'm sorry, I did that. Forgive me, please. I've wronged you. I've wronged Jesus as well. But I'm trusting Jesus for his forgiveness. And that's that's the way that we can, we can uh, put the gospel on display in many and every situation in our lives, in our workplaces, with our work colleagues, with our neighbors. We can put Jesus on display by coming to him in his strength. Trinity Church London, our vision is to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. And I'm convinced that one of the ways that God will do this is when we live this faith, when we live as witnesses to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, in the present day, in the today. God will strengthen us, God will use us, and he will advance his kingdom for his glory, for his name's sake. Can I please have the band? Can I just end reminding us of the good news of Jesus Christ? I mean, all that I said about faith asks, faith takes hold of, faith trusts, faith acts, all of this is not about our faithfulness. It's about Jesus' faithfulness over us. It's not about our faithfulness. I mean, we, there are times when we, have, when we have not trusted him. There are times when we have said no for his promises. When we, there are times when we have said no. There have been times, but because it is not about our faithfulness to him. It's about his faithfulness to us. Even though we were faithless, 
he remained faithful he remained true to his word even when we were far away from him even when we were far away from him he took on human flesh he came on this in this world he lived that righteous that perfect that sinless life that you and i couldn't live because of this bent in us away from god and he lived that life and he sacrificed himself so that we could be reconciled back to him so it's not about just our faithfulness to him it's about his faithfulness towards us we don't deserve his compassion and love in fact quite the opposite what we deserve is is his wrath but he demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ died for us he who had no sin he became sin for us so that in him in jesus we might become the righteousness of the father and now what he does is this is what he does he we look to him he fills us with his holy spirit he fills us with faith he builds us up he strengthens us and then he sends us out for his glory for his name's sake if you are not a christian here if you have any questions with regards to christian faith we would love to get in touch with you we would love to speak with you grab a hold of someone over here and and speak if you want to give your life to christ we would love to do that it would be a privilege to pray with you but for the rest of us let's lift our gaze to jesus again who is our only rescuer who is our only savior who is the giver of life and to whom all praises and glory belongs anahili and the team please lead us to worship our king and savior jesus christ amen